Good morning, Max. How are you doing today? Fantastic. Thanks for thanks for taking time to talk to me. Oh, I'm so jealous of what you've been able to do here because it's like I, I, I think that as we grow as a generation, we're forgetting the history of how, where, who and all of this came about with food and tasting history is a new door to walk through. That's right. Yeah, it's you know, I I endeavor each each episode that I make or each recipe in the book to to just give a little story from history that you can easily kind of latch onto and be like, oh, so so that's where the food that I'm eating came from or, you know, it's important. I, I was freaked out when I learned that a pot pie, that crust was actually there to preserve everything on the inside. We weren't supposed to eat the crust, but then but now it's like that seems to be the best part that everybody enjoys. Exactly. Yeah. No, some of those early crusts, you look at them and they're, you know, they would use them multiple times. They would call them <laughs> coffins, actually. And it was really just to hold the food, way to way to kind of preserve it. How were you able to dig into family tradition and or history to be able to put all of this together? Because, you know, when it comes to food, so many people are protective. Yes. Um, and, you know, some some foods definitely bring out a little <laughs> a little more uh, energy than others. Um, you know, when you touch on foods that people have such a connection to personally, like I just did an episode actually on peanut butter and jelly sandwiches of all things. And you'd think that that would just be, you know, very innocuous. But boy, people really had strong feelings about the way that they made their peanut butter and jelly sandwich mm -hmm. and more so how their mother made their peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And that's what I find with a lot of foods that I end up talking about. It's, you know, how did my family eat it when I was a kid? That is the correct way to do it. And that is the history that I want to hear about. Um, and, you know, especially when you, when you kind of leave the U S and talk about foods like adobo from the Philippines or borscht from uh, Ukraine and Russia, especially right now, they're they're charged. It's just food, but it's so important to people and their personal histories and their families' histories that uh, sometimes it, it takes a little tiptoeing around certain yeah. things. But once you get people talking about it, they love to tell stories and that's really all history is about man you bring up such a very interesting point there especially with peanut butter and jelly because i don't like it with the chunks of of, of peanuts in it and i and i've always said this because we we weren't rich enough to have that kind of peanut butter we only had the smooth peanut butter so therefore <laughs> as an adult i only want the smooth peanut butter that's that's funny that you mentioned that so originally it was kind of the other way around wow. the smooth peanut butter was the more expensive peanut butter um it wasn't chunky versus smooth it was more gritty yeah. versus smooth because if you had to make your own peanut butter it was usually through like a meat grinder or a coffee grinder and so it wasn't really smooth and so if you were able to afford at that time peter pan peanut butter <laughs> you know this was like the 19 30s 40s if you were able to afford that stuff you were living high on the hog how is food changing today because it seems like everybody is buying everything there, there's not one especially here in charlotte and and you know we we do have generations from everywhere but but it just seems like everybody is going for the quick route yeah um you know it's it's funny because people are cooking a lot less i feel especially people in you know my generation the millennial kind of generation um 
and and I think that's sad. Yeah. But I'm not sure that it can really be stopped uh, because food has become just so easy to buy and you know people are busy and so if you're going to pick one or the other and they end up costing the same very often especially if you're a household of one or two it's almost just as inexpensive to buy food than to go grocery shopping and make it yourself um so i don't know that it's something that's necessarily going to go away yeah but at times in history We've been like this. Uh, there have been a lot of times in history where most people bought all of their food. They did not cook at home because it was expensive to have cooking equipment. You might be able to afford a pot, maybe. And and anything else, you had to buy. So bread, for instance. For the longest time, everybody bought their bread sometimes they would make the dough at home but mm -hmm. then you would have to take it to the baker and he would bake it so you know, maybe we're going back to the old days the medieval <laughs> medieval era where we're actually buying things from from everyone who else everyone else is making the food for us i never even thought about that i mean that's almost like the bartering system we're all sharing you know we go to, to somebody to get the bread we go to somebody to get the meat and 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 see that's what's great about tasting history is that you you give us that opportunity to see the way it used to be and it can still be yeah you know it's it's really fun to kind of my goal with the with the show and with the book is to tell history through stories rather than you know just a series of facts and everything kind of tell histories through stories so put you in the shoes of a medieval peasant who has to go to the baker and has to you know figure out how to put together a meal without access to to a lot of cooking equipment and everything so it's all about kind of making yourself connect with those people of the past and realizing that we're not all that different. That <laughs> not that much has changed over the last couple thousand years. <laughs> now, when you go back four thousand years into recipes, how, what the the ingredients themselves are they still around, or do you have to rely on something else to kind of you know be a substitute? So yes and no. The the, the quick answer is no. Absolutely no ingredient today is the same that it was four thousand years ago. Even when you go to something as basic as a piece of fruit or vegetable or wheat, everything has changed because of farming practices over the last few thousand years. But you know, I can if they have lamb in a recipe from four thousand years ago, we have lamb today. Mm -hmm. Yes, they're different, but they're close enough that, that I'm okay with that. But then there are some ingredients that you just can't get. Like in the Babylonian texts, there are ingredients that we don't even know what the word means. Oh, boy. And so there's, you know, there are educated guesses by people far more educated than I, you know, scholars from, uh, from the field. So we can work with those guesses and come up with Persian shallots and things like that. But sometimes we don't know the word, and so we don't know the word. Mm -hmm. Inside the book, you feature 60 different recipes. I love this idea because it gives me the opportunity to take my days away from the job and, and to, to have some fun in the kitchen. So to, to be able to do this, I mean, it's like you're creating a new family tradition. Because if it's never been in my home before, it's a new family tradition. Right. Yeah, it's it's fun. I love hearing about people cooking some of these dishes that that one they've never heard of and two <laughs> that they would never make 
based on you know if if i said hey go make some blood stew uh, you yep. would probably say no but if i said hey go make the stew that spartan warriors used to eat before going into battle you might be a little more inclined to to try it out and so that recipe melozomos is is in the book though there are so many recipes in there that are wonderful and delicious like the semlor i've had a lot of people making these these are cardamom uh buns from sweden from the 18th century the recipe is and they're filled with an almond filling and then whipped cream or or oh, hot God. cream around them and the story behind them of course is that the swedish king adolf frederick ate so many that he died oh, no. uh they 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 killed him um and so, you know, the test is, can you make this and, and not die? The, the answer is yes, just eat two or three rather than I think he ate 19 or something like that. <laughs> so the photographs have always been very appetizing to me. And I'm so glad that, that you've included those in here because I think that that is, if, if my eyes are sold on the idea of creating, then, then it started with the photograph and then my stomach is going to follow. Absolutely. You always eat with your eyes first. Um, it's 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 important to have good looking food and with historic food sometimes that can be difficult. Mm. Today if you look at most you know modern cookbooks or you go to a very nice restaurant everything is the, the dishes are kind of created with the look in mind. But when you're talking about different stews and and everything food just tended to be very brown in in the past. The further back you go it's like there's a lot of brown in this food and um because food tended to be boiled to death or, uh, you know, roasted for long periods of time. So it it's hard to make things look good, but we endeavored with the pho photography uh, to, to make as much of it look appealing as possible. Yeah. And and I think we succeeded. Yeah, I can't imagine what, what the food of ancient Rome would look like. Was it was it as brilliantly colorized as we do our food today? Or is it like, okay, we, here's, here's some slop on the, on, the, on the plate, you know, have dinner, eat, enjoy. So it kind of depended on who you were. If you were oh. the average working Joe um, or Julius, then... It was it was pretty basic. You ate mostly what was called pulse, which is basically porridge or yeah. similar to like an oatmeal. Not particularly beautiful, um, but the wealthy. It was all about presentation. They would have entire you know peacocks and uh, huge dishes of thousands of fish laid out with with color and use different uh, you know the. It was all about presentation, and that really extends through history. The wealthy people were all about the presentation of the food. By the Middle Ages, they would make certain dishes that were completely covered in gold leaf. What? Or they would take a peacock and re-stuff it and re-feather it and have it looked like a living peacock on the table and they would put camphor in its no. beak and light it on fire so it would spit out flames when it came to the table no. so it was really all about the spectacle of the food because you know you had nothing else to spend your money on other than impressing people with your food there was no louis vuitton uh and you know you couldn't buy a corvette so you spent your money on private armies and food to impress people i can't imagine what you feel like when you discover new food i mean are you, are you like a child in a candy store and it's like oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. 
every week that is that is me you know every week i kind of start out trying to figure out what my next dish is going to be yeah. that i tackle and as soon as i find it it's just like this burst of energy it's like yes this is the one this is the story that i want to tell this is the food that i find interesting that week um and and then usually once i start making it that the uh the excitement subsides because it's always more difficult than i I imagine <laughs> simply because recipes in the past were not written particularly well. So they'll just be a list of ingredients or maybe they'll say things like boil until done, add enough saffron and sugar and serve it forth. Okay. Well, that's not a huge help. Uh, and so it takes a lot of time and frustration in the kitchen <laughs> to figure out <laughs> what exactly this cook might have been trying to tell me. Um, and, you know, sometimes I'm more successful than others. See, that's like when, when I make soup. I mean, that, that was my addiction during the lockdown. It's like I always had to create some mm -hmm. sort of new soup. But the way that it's based, it's all based on improv. What, what am I feeling or wanting to taste in this moment of now? So it's, I've never had two soups the same. Right. And, you know, soup is such a forgiving, uh, forgiving dish, because mm -hmm. if you oversalt it, you can you can add other things yep, to, yep, to fix garlic. that. And, you, know, <laughs> you can always add and and, you know, dilute certain things. And 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 it's so many different flavors that come together. And like you said, each time that those flavors do come together, they're a little bit different. Yeah, the yeah. the way that things interact in the pot. Then there are other dishes like anything that's baked. Once that thing goes into the oven, it's it's kind of you're done. Yeah. And so if it, if it comes out and it's like, oh, I used too much salt, or oh, they're you know this is dry. Well, start over. Yeah, you know what's really interesting about the past ten to fifteen years is that you know I you know there for a while and maybe it was just a Hollywood thing when when you thought of cooking it was always mom or somebody in the kitchen. Nowadays the manly man is is doing a lot of time in that kitchen or or on that little barbecue. Mm -hmm. You know, I grew up in a house where both my parents cooked, wow. but uh, on the weekends, it was all about my dad cooking. You know, when he was he was around and just would spend hours in the kitchen, mostly yelling at us to get out of the kitchen. <laughs> but the, the smells coming out and and that was partly where I, I kind of got my love of of food, not of cooking, because uh, he wouldn't let me. But. It, it was, you know, he he introduced us to Japanese cuisine, and oh, we had lots wow. of Mexican food and Indian, and sometimes the foods were were just weird. You know, as a seven year old, finding out that we're having tree fungus from <laughs> Southeast Asia for dinner not not the most thrilling thing, but what a wonderful thing to be introduced to. Um, as a kid and uh so that's it was it was through my dad's cooking that i that i ended up learning a lot about food from around the world and that kind of sparked that passion for me oh my god so and historically it hasn't always been the women cooking in households yes but in in general cooks were men for the longest time yeah, yeah uh you know if if somebody was cooking for a feast or you know for the wealthy, again, uh, it was it was always men. 
My neighbor's son is a, is a chef, and he loves to come into this forest that I have here in South Charlotte because he believes that this forest is always full of something that he can use in one of his dishes. How important mm-hmm. is it for people to go into the forest and start realizing that mushrooms or tea leaves or different forms of, of life, plant life, are really a, a, that's something that's very good in dishes? I think, I mean, I think it's fascinating uh, if you have access to to that. You know, not everyone has a forest. I live in Los Angeles. I have no forest. <laughs> I'm not picking up anything and eating it off the ground. Um, but but if you do have that that ability to to kind of go out into nature and find those edible things, of course you have to have the knowledge you because bet. there are just yep. as many things that can kill you. Um, but it not just mushrooms and everything, but I do think that it's important to have that connection with the actual ingredient. We often forget how much work goes into, say, just raising a chicken yeah. or, or any kind of meat product or getting an egg or milk or honey. And that is something that is fairly recent, that we have forgotten that connection because for the longest time, most people had, there were fewer steps between me and the bee making my honey. And you you just get to appreciate the work that goes into food. And I think you're less likely to waste it if you realize the amount of work that goes into getting these these ingredients. I mean, when it comes to mushrooms or truffles yeah. specifically, the amount of time that it takes to to find those ingredients is is mind-boggling and that's why they're so expensive speaking of that respect i think uh, food prep is 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 a great way to show respect too because you're showing patience and i i always have light music playing in the background and and part of that prep is that you allow your imagination to envision what you're about ready to create yes and you know it's it is kind of a if if you tackle cooking as a a fun activity yeah. rather than just because I need something to eat, if you have that kind of time, which is a luxury, um, I love that portion of getting everything out. It's called mise en place in in French, laying out the ingredients and measuring things yeah. out, and yeah. kind of getting ready to to make whatever you're going to to make. And you get to appreciate each individual ingredient, you know, every tomato, every the the different types of salt that you can (laughs) use and the different types of pepper. Um, And that's kind of one thing that I love bringing into my daily cooking is bringing some of these ingredients that have have lost popularity at least here in in the u.s things like long pepper instead of using black pepper there's something called long pepper which is so much better than the typical black peppercorn and it was the popular pepper in ancient rome and throughout the middle ages and you can still get it you can go online and get it easily and it's not that much more expensive but it makes such a huge difference to the dish um so, yeah, I love that process of before the food arrives, all of the ingredients that, that go into it. Oh, my God. See, that that's the that's the fun of it that, you know, just just, you know, to be able to sample it. Oh, try this. Oh, sample it again. Ooh, I like being in control because I think I'm spoiled when I sample my own cooking. Yeah, yes. <laughs> Especially if you like your own cooking. Right. Not, not everyone does. So for a lot of people, it's a chore. But, you know, if it is something that you enjoy, then yeah, all that sampling. And it's I, I kind of always feel like uh, 
well, I'm sure that there's maybe somebody here on this call, the person with the the soundboard, with all of those little knobs and everything, tuning each knob yeah. to, to get the sound exactly right. It's like that when you're putting together a dish in the kitchen. You know, you can, you can fine tune all of the different ingredients and the process and everything to come up with a new creation that nobody has ever made exactly that way before. Wow. Where can people go to give you some love, to follow you? Because, I mean, you've got one hell of a big uh, fan base as it is, but it needs to be bigger than that because you know what it's like. You know, you know, I got to do more. I got to reach more. It's, you know, it is a constant, constant struggle. It's what gets me out of bed, though, in the morning. <laughs> yes. uh, the, the best place to follow me is on YouTube at Tasting History with Max Miller. I'm also on Instagram, Tasting History with Max Miller. And you can get the cookbook tasting history cookbook pretty much anywhere books are sold excellent please come back to the show anytime in the future max the door is always going to be open for you awesome thank you so much for having me i really appreciate it well be brilliant today because i love talking about food dude and you brought your game (laughs) thank you